Oh, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the Efficiency Bitch Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Leone. This podcast is dedicated to all the women out there who are aspiring to have a career while raising a family. And bitch? Well, that's more than a name and even an attitude. (laughs) We use it as an acronym. It's for bank, inbox, time, connection, and harmony. Each episode is labeled according to the correct topic so that you can efficiently find the topic that you're looking for. I'm here to tell you, you can have your cake and eat it too. The trick is finding efficient ways to get through the have-tos so that you can make room for your best life. I can show you how. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Efficiency Pitch Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Leone. I am so glad that you're here today. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to the Beehive. If you've been here before, welcome back. I think you're going to love today's episode. So we are continuing down the new episode series of A New Kind of Bitch, and we have a phenomenal guest here today. Her name is Victoria Peltier. She is a corporate executive and a keynote speaker and just a really inspirational person. I have had the privilege of knowing her for about two years and follow her on LinkedIn with some amazing content and really just a great person. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's jump on in. Victoria, hi, how are you today? Thanks for being on the show. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Melissa. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. I can't wait to get started. New episode topic. Really excited about this, but let's start with who you are, where you come from and how you do life. Okay, I'm going to try and be as brief as possible, but that's hard. I'm a career-long, predominantly B2B professional services executive. Very fortunate that I was put into a hugely stretched role at age 24 as the chief operating officer for a large outsourcing organization. And that was my foray into the world of B2B, and I loved it. So I've stayed there ever since. If anyone looks me up on LinkedIn, they might not think it's a linear path. It's zigzag, but they're, tangentially, it's all connected. And then I've also built and bought businesses of this incredible entrepreneurial spirit, not only externally, but typically within organizations as well. And then I'm passionate about a number of things. I'm almost maniacally focused around, you know, human-centered leadership and positive, healthy cultures as an outcome of those, diversity and inclusion. And then on the personal side, a spouse, a wife, a mother to two children, fitness fanatic, foodie, wine lover. Awesome. A lot of stuff. I love it. You're so my kind of people. And where do you sit in the world? Are you, I know you're Canadian. Are you still in Canada? No, I moved. I've been between Toronto and New York most of my like professional career. However, I'm one of the many people who exited New York and fled to Florida during COVID. So I'm now in Miami Beach. You are. I used to live in Miami. I lived there for two years. I'll actually be there in May. Oh, it's May. Today's May 1st. Yes. Anyway. Awesome. I am really excited to talk to you about this topic because it's something that's very personal for me. When I wrote a book and started a podcast called Efficiency Bitch, I had to really think twice about it. I had to really dig deep and say, is bitch the word that I want out there representing my brand, my my personality, for my children to hear? And the word bitch has so much emotional weight, right? For so many people, for men and for women, it's such a bizarre word. There's so many weird idioms and the historical presence of the derogatory term. So I just wondered, like, how do you react? What is your gut reaction when you hear the word bitch? Uh, I think it's a context in which it's used. It can be quite a fun thing with girlfriends or some of my gay male friends who all go, oh, bitch, you know, like, and it's just a fun, like, thing. 
But I also know in the way in which you're talking about it, Melissa, where when we think about it much more from a, a professional standpoint, um, for me, it's a word I've heard and a name I've heard used against me in particular many times over. And it, I'm going to say it, it doesn't anger me so much anymore as it just, it's incredibly disappointing mm-hmm. because it tends to be associated with more traditionally masculine traits. And again, our male counterparts are generally applauded for some of those. Yeah. Where we as women in the workplace, we're, you know, the moniker of bitch or other things. I've had other names called as well. Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's if, if a woman is being aggressive or fighting for something that she believes in or using her voice, she's a bitch. And it dates back into the 1920s, at least in the U.S., when women were fighting for the right to vote. That's when it really started to trigger this popularity. And it's ironic, too. Today, you can hear it on the radio. You can hear it on television. But for a long time, Meta wouldn't allow it. I had to use Efficiency B on Facebook and Instagram because it was hate speech. And just recently, I learned that Amazon won't let me pay for ads for my book because of the word. So you have this like polarizing use of it, right? Women have been trying to take the word back for a long time, starting in the 1960s, trying to use this word as this power word. But it's this strange thing. And now we have this Karen term showing up. And I saw a kid at Halloween, a young woman wearing a T-shirt that said something about my name is Karen. And I just thought, is that the same thing? Are we going down the same path with that telling women to shut up? I don't know. It's such an interesting thing. Do you have any thoughts on the new word? I don't like the new word, but I think about it being used maybe a little bit differently. The way I've experienced people using it more, much more about women who are complainers and not yeah. always in the positive sort of way. And and so I just not in a healthier about something that's just inappropriate. So I don't. Yeah, I've never used that that word. I don't, and I don't like it. Um, I'd prefer different terms to refer to yeah. some I think is unfounded in some of their call it complaining or feedback or whatnot. And how come there's not a male version of either of those words? They don't exist because they're used predominantly by men to keep women quiet, not as people pointing out maybe a spoiled person who's acting out of obnoxious privilege. Like that's specifically pointed at women. I find it very interesting. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I know. So you're a mom and Big corporate career, and you speak a lot. I know I've seen you. I've seen you speaking in my own. I think I even told you a couple of weeks ago, I opened the skim, which is like a morning email that I get, and you were right there front and center. It was awesome. What do you, how do you see media and the world and working women changing, not just from when you started, but like what is happening in five years from now? What's it going to look like for women who want to work and have a family? It's so interesting, Melissa, that this for me is, I've been having this conversation for a very long time. So I said, I came to my executive role very early. I was 24 years old. I was a new mother. My mm-hmm. oldest, he was only maybe three months old or something at that point. And so I feel like I've always been battling and juggling what being a spouse and a mother looks like with my career and recognizing that there are trade-offs. And so I, I don't know that I've seen any real evolution in the 23 years since I became a mother uh, in that regard. In fact, I just think the demands have risen and there's 
conversation to talk about how do we gain more balance, particularly the, the last several years with COVID, with the pandemic and working from home. And so there's discussion around it, but there's so much more that needs to be done. So obviously we understand in our mothers, how they were viewed and looking at stay-at-home mothers and the expectations of women in the household. So there's much more of a shift to having women in more senior roles, getting having strong representation and equity in the workplace. But I haven't seen the media view shift to the extent it needs to around how there needs to be an equal partnership for those who are partnered in terms of what the household duties look like. Mm -hmm. We know that the pandemic had a significantly greater impact on women because they took more of the responsibility for taking care of those who were sick with COVID, but also the household duties and homeschooling and those sorts of things. So more women exited the workforce as a result. And so we, I do see some media trying to show stay-at-home dads or men taking more of a step in that relationship. And of course, I'm very happy to see more LGBT couples, period, media. But that's where I think it plays with a lot of women's minds over this expectation. We have enough guilt as it is, what, you know, yeah. whether it's work or family, to let others weigh it down by what, you know, is in the media in terms of what a solid career should look like as for those who aspire to a senior level within their organization, let alone what the expectations are on the home front. Yeah. There was a lot of impetus for me writing my book. I People are always saying to me, like, how do you do all that? How do you travel 200,000 miles a year and have three infants? My kids were, I was pregnant with one of them when I was doing all of that and two had two toddlers at home. And the answer is, I don't do it all. I have people who help me, both hired help, and I rely and count and hold my husband accountable to helping with all of those things. And I think a lot of my success, I know a lot of my success is because I married a man who was willing to learn along the way with me. He didn't start out like that. We entered our married life with that typical male-female role in the home. Like when we first started having kids, I was the one that cleaned all the time. I was the one that cooked all the time. And throughout the evolution of our marriage, we started realizing like, oh, you actually have to cook. I hate it. So I don't touch food in this house at all anymore. And all of those things started to shift. I do believe men are starting to pick that up and are starting to understand it in some cases. In others, they may need a little bit more room. But I'm curious, you're married to a woman. How does it work in same-sex marriages when there is no gender norm? How does that play yeah, out for you? I'm, and I'm married to a man now, but I was oh, married, you are. I, I, but I was married to a, a woman for 11 years, and I gave birth to our two children while in the marriage to my, my ex-wife. And I will say, much like you talk about your husband, both my ex-wife and my husband are a big part of the reason I'm able to do yeah. all that I do. And not just from a parenting perspective, career perspective. You mentioned speaking. I said on boards, like there's a lot. Yeah. And it, they have made my career and my ability to do as much as I do possible. So it's interesting in with my ex-wife. It's funny. She was traditionally more masculine, certainly in her physical appearance, but she was a carpenter who became a general contractor. So even in the work she did, although interestingly, there was this weird dynamic in the home where she was like way more softer, emotional. But these are traditional like traits and norms that I'm talking about. I tend to yeah. not any of those kinds of stereotypes. But I was always I've always been the primary breadwinner for my in my marriages and so she picked up and did a ton. But like you, I also had hired help. We had a nanny when mm -hmm. the kids were younger who cooked and cleaned as well as watched our children while we worked during the day. 
And that's a big part of sort of the strategy when I'm telling people, not just women, like around how to do many activities, many things, whether that's parenting and career or it could be other interests, is to say no, delegate or outsource. Mm -hmm. And so that the dynamic with my wife was as easy as it is with my husband now. In fact, my husband probably had the the bigger tra- he we met away when we were away on vacation so we were long distance initially he gave up a 25 year career where he was the top of his food chain to move to my city and then he took those he get, adopted my children my ex-wife unfortunately had passed away uh, and took over driving my kids to and from school and like he would do the, the cooking in the house so like you i don't touch any of the food here at home and interestingly, I had people who cleaned our home and did our laundry. That made him a little uncomfortable. He'd never had that before. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, like, babe, like doing laundry doesn't bring me like any joy or value. And that was the thing he was more uncomfortable with, not the cleaning of the home. And I said, so we can either let the cleaners continue to do it or you can do it. Mm-hmm. So we are almost 10 years together now. And today, Monday is laundry. Day. So he happens to be doing the laundry today as we speak. Yeah, I am the same way. I don't. Laundry is not a fun thing for me. So either you do it or I'll pay someone to do it. People always say to me, like, hiring help is for the rich. And I certainly was not rich. I still don't consider myself rich. I don't know exactly what that means. But for me, it was for the busy. I would rather have somebody help me in my home than have a cable bill because I needed to have that little stuff done so that I could use my brain power and my energy making more money or building more things. And I, I really, truly believe that no matter where you are financially, if you want to get help, you can find it. You just may have to shift some other things around in order to get there because that delegation piece is key. It has been for me. Sounds like for you too. Oh yeah, 100%. I've had to, and also get learning to say just no to things as much as like delegating or outsourcing them. Yeah, I learned to say no to alcohol about three years ago. And since I did that... My social muscles are not as stretched as they used to be. We went to a event, a fundraiser on Saturday night, and I was telling my husband, now that I don't drink, social events are really uncomfortable for me. I don't do the like easy, just chit chat thing anymore because I'm so used to talking to people either on podcasts or at work on camera. I don't do the casual thing anymore. So maybe I've said no to social things far too many times at this point. (laughs) I did just start to flex that muscle, but not with the alcohol though. I, that's done for me. I can't, I can't, I can't chew gum and walk like that. It doesn't work. So when we talk about equality and we start to really think about those pieces, how do we know when we're there? What will that feel like? What will that look like? Oh, I, I'm happy to see that progress has been made, but the reality is there's still so much more to go. And we're going to see it in the date, in data, let alone how we feel which is important, but so the World Economic Forum, the study that came out late last year around just gender parity and pay. In North America, only 60, 60 years until we reach it's 120 years in other parts of the world. But yeah. that's just horrific. Or you look at the Fortune 500, only 53 of those CEOs are women, six Black CEOs. Like that, that is, it's obviously not representative of our communities that we live and work in. That I'm dis heartened that it's the needle is far away from where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I'm happy that progress is being made. So we'll, we will know when we see the data on a multitude of fronts and we need to be measuring so many other things, much like the way we just look at diversity in the workplace. It's not just hiring diverse talent. It's like, how do we create opportunities? How do we promote? 
certainly the pay equity piece, all of those things and seeing representation at every single level. Mm-hmm. So we'll know. But then to the part we were just talking about, too, around equity in our households mm-hmm. and shared responsibility and expectations around that. Yeah. We'll see that dynamic change, too. Even as we said, seeing in media, we should start to see more normative balance in the commercials or whatever we're watching on television. It's starting to creep in. I'm starting to see there's definitely been more people of color on commercials and television recently. But what I'm starting to see is LGBTQ representation and interracial relationships. And that I feel is new that I'm just starting to recognize. And I'm excited to see that. I think if it's not in front of your face, you don't know it exists. And I have this conversation with my children often. They live in a household with heterosexual parents, but that's not how all families look. And But we have to actively have that conversation and say to them, some people have just a mom or a dad or two dads or two moms, or they live with their grandparents. Like families come all different ways, right? Some people don't have families and they bounce around from home to home and that's what their normal is. And we all have that normal. Chris Voss said that I am normal paradox and it like has stuck in my head ever since I heard it. This We all have this assumption that the way we've lived life is normal and that can't possibly be true because there's no two versions of that. Even identical twins live different versions of normal. That's not a thing. I think it'll be interesting to see how these types of issues continue to change, particularly because I think we hold so much generational weight, right? If if you and I are having these conversations with our children, their generational knowledge is shifting from what we had. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very fortunate that my mother. And by the way, I'm adopted. And so we could talk about what the richness of like very different lived experience and what that brings to the normal conversation you're talking about. But my my adoptive parents, my my mom is the woman that raised me. She was such an incredible, very liberal woman back then. So I know that when I came out to her, her all her advice to me was just that, Tori, remember that like women can be jerks too. And so it was like, nothing. So that and then I have a queer child. So my younger one came out as queer at age 11. So she was born a girl. She's made the decision in the last six or eight months to transition to male. And and so for her, again, she also has someone part of the LGBT community. And I just Mm -hmm. think the conversation that we've been able to have as a result is very, very different. I think my ex-wife was an immigrant from Portugal, strong Catholic family. And so there was a lot of resistance when she came Mm -hmm. out as a lesbian and seeing that. But but again, there's more progress to me. But I love, like you said, Melissa, we, there's much more in the media. You think about Budweiser just did by putting a trans woman yep. on. But sadly, the backlash that's resulted because of it, Kid, I don't know, Kid Rock, who went out, posted a video of shooting up Budweiser kids. Yeah. And the two marketing executives have been suspended, which I think yeah. is horrible for yeah. them doing the, and you and I love this phrase, doing the right thing. Yeah. And I always think about those media stunts, right? It gets something in like Chris Rock. It's getting him in PR again. Is that who he is as a person? Probably. But it's also getting him clicks on his Instagram. It's also getting him more attention, more downloads. People like that just do these ridiculous things sometimes just to get more attention. And I just don't have any time for it. You're ridiculous. If you really want to boycott a beer because they did the right thing, then maybe that beer is not for you. I don't know. It's just <laughs> pendulum swings so far, right? Like you see this insane like reactions on both. And if I think obviously I wasn't around during the civil rights acts, but in civil rights movements, but 
people felt this way in the 50s and 60s when schools were starting to integrate. And this type of fear, this type of not knowing what is on the other side was part of just the weirdness of the way people behave sometimes. I think this too will pass. I hope that it passes with very little violence, but I do think this is part of our evolution as people that the next generation will just be all the wiser for. And when they didn't want to give women the right to vote, right? This too, they hated women. There was all this backlash about it. And now it's just so normal that of course women can vote. That's just the way it's been for 103 years. But yeah, although I feel like you know, we've gone back, what, 40 years with Roe v. Wade, though? Oh, but my we gosh. It's about our own bodies now. Oh, yeah. I can't even. I'm on the board at Planned Parenthood, Arizona, and I just it makes my insides hurt to live in a state where abortions are restricted. And it's getting better in Arizona. But for a minute, we had this immediate hundred year old law that all abortions were off the table. And the Planned Parenthood of Arizona has fight it fought in legal in courtrooms over and over again. And some of those things are starting to lift. But yeah, I think I think just like in the 20s and just like in the 60s, we're in the middle of a big shift of change. I always believe that good will prevail. So I think we'll see some good stuff on the other side, I hope. Just hopefully not a lot of lives are lost in the process. It's a deep emotional piece for me, just raising two two girls and one boy. I want them to live this life where they feel like they can be whomever they want to be. I want to ask you a question and it's a little personal, so don't, you can say no. I have tattoos. I like tattoos. I wonder what I will feel like when my child gets a tattoo. Do you have any, like I, I almost, it makes me nervous a little bit if she gets a tattoo. Oh, you're get to put something on your body that says something about who you are. Do you have that feeling when your child came out as transgender at all about my life has been difficult because I was gay? Do you feel like that nerve for your child at all? Do you understand the premise of my question? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I had many tattoos and I that I had removed. And so when my both children wanted tattoos, I'm like, let's just have a conversation here. But so Jordan, my youngest, who I joke with them that at least the name doesn't need to change because it it's, can go right. either. So when Jordan came out, so actually, first of all, the one thing I said to him, and I'm going to use she, her pronouns when I talk about how she identified then and they, them, or he, him now. And so when she first came out and said, I think I like girls, my advice was don't label it. I actually hate labels. And the reason I choose to use the word queer is that I'm a queer woman is it means I'm just not straight. Like, mm-hmm. a, like my Jordan said at one point said, mom, you should say you're pansexual or, or versus bisexual. I'm like, you know what? I'm not straight. I so let's just so. And so for, for, for Jordan at the time, I said, like, don't label it. Just go with the flow. That was my yeah. advice. But being a very proud Canadian where and so that's one of the things I really value about being the privilege I had to be born in Canada, where from a social liberal standpoint and acceptance. Like, so I will, when I travel internationally, I very proudly state I'm Canadian. I reside in the U.S. because I want to be known for those sorts of things. And so when Jordan came out and we were still living in Canada at the time, I've never had fear. So I didn't need to say or warn her. What Where I had conversation was around her choice of clothing. So Jordan's always been more masculine presenting. And when she changed schools, I said, look, I, beauty girl was my name. I'm allowed to still say beauty as a nickname for Jordan. And so I I said, just beauty, just know that your choice that you make, I said, is going to have some implications. I said, I love that you are who you are and you show up and she's happy to get her brother's hand-me-downs. Like, but the choices you'll make, in this case, even just how you show up and present at school, the 
teenage, tween age girls are not generally very nice. So I said, let's mm-hmm. just talk about what the implication is of even choosing to dress in a, a certain way. So that it disappoints me, Melissa, that I need to ha- have that kind of conversation. Yeah. Less to do even around sexuality, but more to do physically how she would present. Yeah. Which is that those decisions in themselves, and even though she's just being who she was, now he is, I'm, I love, but it's created a lot of like pain and turmoil. Yeah. Just because you don't want them to go through that. I wish I hadn't gotten that tattoo. I wish I hadn't have done that. I agree completely. I remember riding in, in a car with my boss, who is a gay man, was a gay man. I don't work for him anymore. And he said something to me about no parent hopes that their child goes up to be gay. And I said, that's not true. I don't hope anything like that for my children. I just hope that their life is is happy and easy. And unfortunately, for many members of LGBTQ communities, it's not been easy. And so I hope it has become easier if that's the path that they choose, right? So it's that weird, like, for me, I don't hope you don't get that tattoo. I just hope you love it forever. <laughs> you don't regret well, it, right? Yeah, and it's funny, I was talking to a really good friend of mine, a lesbian who refers to it. And I think I'd heard it before, but she and I talked about it recently about the pink tax, which is the additional cost that comes. Forget emotions, literal cost that comes with being queer. And in this case, we were talking about we're both parents. And so that expense she and her wife went through to have their two children. Just there's a ton. And so you're right. I, we all want our children to have more uh, and experience less pain or trauma than we might have experienced. And that's the best we can do. I tell my children constantly, or I did. And it's weird that they're both adults now, but very weird. Melissa, wait till you get there. Um, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I'm having a hard enough time with the teenage thing. I don't know. I said, my job as your mom is to ensure that I raise really good humans. Yeah. And I said, the, you're definitely, I had to, I think there's a lot of, they feel a burden because of my level of or seniority within the workplace or how public I am. And I said, you are going to define your own level of success, mm-hmm. whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I said, you will have a job that can afford the lifestyle that you choose, yeah. right? I'm not expecting you to do or follow directly in my path. I, but I just want you to be healthy and happy when, yeah. and whatever that is in your eyes. Yeah. Feel that contentment. That's all it's about, right? It doesn't have anything to do with money or status or your job or even your sexuality. As long as you're content with the person or peoples that you're surrounding yourself with, that's what it's all about for me. Victoria, you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. I knew this would be fun. Would you share with the audience where they can find you, how they can connect and continue the conversation? Yeah, definitely. So I've got a website, which is victoria-peltier.com. And I'm sure it'll be your show notes. So no one needs figure out the spelling of that. And then people can choose to connect with me from my social platforms on there, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. Super cool. You're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, that wraps it up. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Please make sure that you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts and come on over to Efficiency B on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Until next time, I'm your host, Melissa Leon. See ya. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new around here, please be sure to leave us a review on any podcast platform you're listening to. And you can always reach out to me to let me know what topics you're interested in hearing about or maybe telling me someone you think would be great for the show. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at EfficiencyBee. 
Until next time, see ya.